1: Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's Burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST.
0: One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, It's a, it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. How would you like to look 5 years younger in a clinical study? There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.
1: I can hardly believe what I'm about to recount, but I swear that every word is true. It all began after a violent thunderstorm had swept through Yosemite National Park, leaving the once serene landscape changed in ways that would forever haunt me. As a park ranger named Joseph, my duty was to protect and care for the park's natural beauty. After the storm, I noticed something peculiar in a specific area of the park. The pine trees emitted an eerie, otherworldly sound, like a chorus of mournful whispers. It sent shivers down my spine, but I assumed it was merely a consequence of the storm's fury. One night I found myself patrolling that very area, drawn by a strange curiosity that I couldn't shake off. As I ventured deeper into the woods, the air grew thick with an unnatural silence, broken only by the haunting melody of the pine tree's unsettling symphony. My flashlight pierced through the darkness, revealing gnarled roots and damp leaves into foot. And then there it was, an unknown cryptid stumbling and waddling through the shadows. The sight of it made my stomach churn with fear and disgust. The creature's movements were awkward, dragging its leg ever so often as it shuffled forward. The glimpse I caught of its facial features made me cringe and shudder. Its face, if I could even call it that, appeared male, but it was disfigured and ghastly skinny. The jaw seemed to hang unnaturally, giving it a hauntingly macabre appearance. Its eye sockets were surrounded by massive bags that made the eyes themselves appear empty and lifeless. The creature's mouth was wide open, looking hollow and void of any humanity. It had no clothes, its deathly skinny form exposed to the elements. The most shocking aspect of the cryptid was its height. I couldn't believe my eyes. It was freakishly tall, towering over anything I had ever seen. Its demeanor and appearance were incredibly dirty, possibly white but obscured by a layer of filth. As I stood there, paralyzed with fear and disbelief, the creature turned its empty gaze toward me. Panic welled up inside me, but before I could react, it lunged at me with surprising speed and strength. Its bony fingers gripped my shoulders, and we tumbled to the forest floor. The impact knocked the breath out of me, and before I could regain my composure, darkness enveloped me. When I regained consciousness, I found myself alone, sprawled on the forest floor. The cryptid was gone, as if it had never been there. I rubbed my throbbing head, trying to make sense of what had just happened. Had I encountered a ghostly apparition? a creature of the dark depths of the forest, or had my mind played tricks on me? Fear mingled with confusion as I stumbled back to my feet, feeling the weight of the encounter pressing on my mind. My heart raced with a mix of disbelief and a primal urge to flee, but when I returned to the park ranger station and reported the incident, my colleagues looked at me skeptically They assured me that the storm had probably left me disoriented, and that what I had seen was likely a figment of my imagination. Yet deep down I knew the truth. I had encountered something beyond rational explanation, something that existed in the shadows of the world, unseen and unheard by most. I'll preface this by saying I now live in Melbourne, Australia, but I lived in California for three years between 2015-2018, and, and I've got a story. My potential skinwalker encounter was in September 2016. I had finished summiting Mount Whitney, California, and had been doing months of training to do it. Early in the evening, when I got back down from the mountain, I went into Lone Pine to get some food and get ready for the drive back to Los Angeles. But before that, I went to the Alabama Hills scenic area just out of Town to sit and eat some food and marvel at the 14,000 feet mountain I had just summited with my team. They were still in the town center. As the sun set, I turned to the side and behind a small hill was an old homeless-looking man in ragged clothes and grimy hair. He stood there slightly slumped and motionless. Inside my mind I was shitting myself, because to me something seemed extremely off, and my gut feeling was telling me to get out of there. But I tried to stay composed and ask him if he wanted any food or needed anything. He stayed as still as a statue and didn't respond. I gave him a few more options to respond before telling him I'm not staying here any longer, and I started to move back to my car. I hurried up the process quickly and started the engine, put my seatbelt on. When I looked back up, the man wasn't there, and instead it was now a half-deformed-looking coyote, which made an ear-piercing scream and stood on its hind legs. It would have been six feet. I backed it in reverse and floored it out of there and it kept up with me for at least 200 hundred I'm pretty much convinced that it was a skinwalker. I know they're technically only in Utah or Arizona, but these things probably don't know what borders are, and I wouldn't be surprised if they ended up in California and Nevada as well. I was at Page Mountain Snow Park with about nine or ten others campers. We were just camping out for the weekend and having a good time. We, while exploring the area on a previous trip, had come across a mine. It was marked with a mine claim paper and a jar hanging from a tall stick in the ground. We went to the Josephine County Clerk to find out what other mining claims are in the area with interest in filing a claim ourselves, if an abandoned claim was in the area. It turns out that there are four or five claims directly in front of the cabin. On the night we saw it, we had arrived at the cabin after dark and set up camp. We had a little map of the area this time, and after a few beers around the campfire, we decided, me and three or four other guys, to grab some flashlights and take a look in the woods. The girls stayed back at the cabin, and we guys went down the road in two Suzuki Samurais. We left the Samurais running with headlights on facing toward us and the cabin. We couldn't see the cabin from there. The woods are very dense, and it was a ways off. We were laughing and making a lot of noise as we circled through the dense area. We got almost to the cabin when we decided to turn back and retrieve our rigs, which we couldn't even hear at this point. I personally got a very strange feeling that something was watching us. I began to feel very uncomfortable, but didn't say anything. Soon we were able to hear the samurai's engines running. They were both very loud with exhaust leaks to boot. We ended up making a very wide circle back to the rigs and ended up on a ridge looking down at the samurais, probably 50 or 60 feet higher in elevation and maybe 250 feet away. We had to descend a steep slope to arrive at the rigs, and we decided to chill out and rest for a minute before we headed down. I lit a cigarette, as did others, and was looking down at the samurais when something huge and hairy walked between us and the headlights... We all saw it as it first passed in front of my rig, blocking the headlights completely where it stood for just a second. Long enough for everyone to see it. Then it passed by the other samurai in one large step, blocking the headlights. All I could really see was that it was furry, brown, or black. This I could see in the light of the headlights, but because it was between us and the light, we couldn't make out a shape at all. The only thing we could tell was that it had no fear at all of those noisy samurais or the headlights and that it was tall. From where we were standing, it would have to be at least five feet tall to block the headlights from our view. If it were a bear, which is what we all agreed to that night, then why would it walk right past those samurais? Why would it walk in front of them instead of behind them? Why would it be walking upright? I don't know much about bears, but I don't think there are that tall while on all fours. Whatever it was, I'm convinced that it was watching the girls at our cabin when we unexpectedly crashed through the woods, scaring it out. Our decision to suddenly crash through the woods could not have been expected by the creature. We caught it by surprise, but it wasn't running away. It walked away slowly, and it didn't know there weren't any people in those rigs. If there had been, then they would have gotten the fright of their life because as I mentioned before it paused in front of the headlights for a second. We all spent a very scary night at the cabin. We didn't let this experience run us off but we all felt like we were being watched as we slept. We all agreed that it was a bear and didn't discuss it again for a few years until the other night one of my friends who was with us that night told me out of the blue that he thinks it was a Sasquatch. Well, since he said it first, I agreed, but none of us have discussed that night since. I was deer hunting on the east slope of a very steep hillside and saw movement about 70 yards down and away from me. I started to bring my rifle up, but realized it was too dark and tall to be a deer, I saw this thing walk through the trees, and even though it was very dry and crunchy in the woods, it made no sound. I saw it walk very briskly for about 40 yards, and then turn down the slope and out of sight. Also noticed, the following day, in an area a few miles away, we found unusually large dung piles, full of berry remains, and my hunting partner and I thought they were from a very big, and even then thought it would be difficult for a bear to pass such a large diameter stool. This happened a few years ago in August in a small town in northern Connecticut called Ellington. A childhood friend of mine and I were both working as security at a club a few miles away, and would occasionally hang out for a bit after knocking off for the night. One night at around 2 a.m., we decided to take a walk around the farm property across the street from my buddy's place. We'd done this a thousand times over the years. Didn't think anything of it. So we're strolling across a field just chatting, maybe 20 yards from the tree line, where this field quickly turns into a swamp, when this sound erupts out of the woods, stopping us cold. I've been hiking around this area most of my life, and I've never heard anything like this. Instantly, all the hair on the back of my neck stands up. It's a tough sound to describe, but basically a very deep bass-woofing wheezing. Almost sounded like a gigantic engine trying but failing to turn over, but less mechanical and more organic sounding. I've seen some decently large white-tailed deer in that area, but this sound was so loud and deep I felt it in my chest we both searched for recordings of deer that come anywhere close to what we heard and have never found anything we turned around immediately and hoofed out of there i'm sure that sound has a perfectly reasonable natural explanation but i've yet to find it that's easily the most frightened i've been in my adult life In 1996, I had just dropped out of university and was moving home to my parents' place. My tail was firmly between my legs. I had almost no money and no job prospects. Basically, I was screwed. I had an old Jeep Comanche with all my belongings in the back and 200 miles to go. I borrowed $20 from a friend for gas and started the trip. I got to a point that was 30 miles from home and was on empty. I pulled into a gas station rest stop and sort of cried for a minute in my truck. I needed five dollars for gas to make it the rest of the way and had nothing. There was no way I could call my dad and ask for help. He was already so disappointed. After a minute, I started searching around my truck for change. Anything. I opened the glove box and there were these paper loyalty bucks for a gas station that I never used. It turns out it was the exact gas station that I was stopped at. $4 worth of bucks. I found another $2 in change, put $6 in the gas tank and bought a Coke. I made it home. Fast forward 20 years. I had sorted my crap out and am a lawyer. That gas station hired me as their outside counsel. I got to tell this story to the president of the company. I'm a firefighter, and we got a call for an overdose around 3 a.m. to a rough part of our district in the middle of winter. Unfortunately, the patient was long gone, and her dealer or whatever found her like that when he dropped some stuff. As we were packing up our stuff, mind you, this is an absolutely trashed mobile home. I hear something down the hall that said lights. I asked my partner if he said anything as it was just him, and I cleaning up, he said no. I walk to the far end of the trailer where I heard it and shine my flashlight, I get a reflection out of the window. They have a small tool shed and it had a flickering light. It piqued my interest so my partner and I go out there. We hear crying and notice the door's padlocked. We cut it and this little six-year-old girl was in there. She said her mom puts her in there when she gets mad at her. She said she got scared when she heard the sirens and didn't know what to do. To this day, I have no idea what happened or where the voice came from, but I'll take the win on it. Edit. A couple people wondering about what happened after. My partner and I took her to the children's hospital closest to us, and we wrote our report and ate chips and a sandwich we took from the lounge while they called a social worker. She was a really sweet girl. The voice was not a little girl voice. I 100% thought it was my partner since it sounded like a guy. When I was younger, in elementary school, I used to have the same dream every weekend, starting on Saturday, when I would go to sleep, and then waking up in the middle of the night on Sunday and throwing up. The dream was always a bunch of numbers, not even anything happening, just a bunch of random jumbled up numbers all over the place. I never understood why that happened, where the same dream would happen on the same night every week, and I would throw up every single time. I always think about it and wonder what it was, or if it was just some weird coincidence. Also, I would not have any signs of being sick before or after. Maybe someone else has experienced this. My girlfriend got out of the shower and called me into the bathroom to show me the mirror. There was a very strange, distinct handprint placed on the mirror. I lived alone, and she was the only adult that had been to my house in about two years. We each placed our handprints on the sides of the mystery handprint for reference, and neither look anything like the mystery print. I still have no idea how it got there. Edit to address a couple of ideas. I've lived in this house for over a decade. The mirror isn't newly installed. The mirror is cleaned pretty regularly. I've taken many showers and fogged up the mirror and have never seen it. Eat it, too. Not the person I bought the house from, but the previous owner. She died in this house. I was watching my neighbor's five-year-old kid. A few years prior to this, and she was eating at the kitchen table. She asked me who was that lady that just went upstairs. There was no lady or any other person in the house. It was just another day at work when I heard the news about my old co-worker's passing. He had always talked about going to Mexico for vacation, but for some reason or another he never got around to it. It was a shock to hear that he had been in a car accident and had died. It felt like a punch to the gut. The fire safety company we worked for decided to send his family a gift, and a few of us decided to attend his memorial to pay our respects. It was a somber occasion, and we all left feeling heavy-hearted. A few days later, some of us were hanging out in the office, shooting the breeze. One of the guys was watching the GPS tracking for the work vans, just to make sure no one was slacking off. Suddenly, he let out a gasp, and we all turned to look at the computer screen. There it was, clear as day. The recently passed co-worker's van was shown as driving over the Gulf of Mexico, heading straight for Mexico. We all stared at the screen in disbelief, then turned to look out the window at the parking lot. Sure enough, the van was still there, parked exactly where it had always been. We all exchanged nervous glances, not sure what to make of it. Was it some kind of glitch in the system? A sick joke, or something else entirely? From that day on, no one wanted to drive that van. It sat in the parking lot, unused and untouched as if it was a cursed object. Marines stationed in Japan back in 2010. 12. I was military police. One night around 2, 3 a.m. we hear over the radio, any unit seeing the light over the water south. It was a marine air station based on the southern tip of Japan. We had no flights coming in or going out that night everyone knew there shouldn't be a light flying over the waters so about three patrol cars met up at the airfield where there was a way better view sure as shit there's a light sitting out over the water blinking slowly off and on some guys tried to say it was a star so we had traffic control cameras from dispatch zoom in on it turns out it was slowly moving out of the cameras So while by E we couldn't tell it was moving, the cameras picked it up. We sat there kind of amazed for an hour before it went away. As we were getting back into the squad car, I took a last look at the night sky and saw a small light dark behind some clouds in a movement that didn't make sense. I didn't tell the other guys, just thought there's no way they would believe me. Months later, I was running on the seawall and stopped to lay down and catch my breath. Again saw a light watched it drive into some clouds and then disappear. That was around the time of the tsunami in Fukushima. Super weird. I got called to persistent fire alarms being set off in a block of flats that used to be a poorhouse in the 1800s. The alarms would go off three, four times a night at certain times of the year. We arrive, and residents are all outside saying they could hear a woman crying. No one wanted to go in, as they assumed it was her that was setting the alarms off, and she might be crazy. We went up. Yep, sure enough, could hear a woman crying. Sounded like the stairwell. Up we went and walked, crying get louder. Turned the landing and realized the sound was then below us. It was coming from the top step of the previous flight of stairs. Well, I nearly shat myself. What made it worse was Guess, who has just bought a flat on the ground floor, and was moving in the following week. Yep, me. I used to bail through the front doors, past the staircase, and into my flat like I was being chased by wolves. Not a responder, but live next door to one who is very famous in our hometown for his alien abduction, but there are other stories, too. This all went down in the 80s, rural England, and my memory of the exact details are fuzzy. Been a while since anyone has bothered discussing it. Small hometown, and everyone knows and is over it. The alien abduction story is that he was on the way back from a call-out, saw some odd lights on the road ahead, and had to stop a one-track road. He went to investigate the lights, as any good police officer does, and next thing he knows, it's a half hour later and he's back in his car seat, car facing the other way. Some odd substance on him. No lights to be seen. The police dispatch also confirmed that his radio frequency just disappeared for that half hour. The substance was tested and didn't match any known profile i really have no idea what that really means or what tests were at around the same time this officer and some others were called out by a farmer whose cows had disappeared yes very stereotypical cows and a tractor beam story but the farmer reported the missing multiple police show up gate is locked and no cows they all decide to drive around looking for the cows The paranormal magnet officer reports that thing where you keep trying to drive somewhere, but always end up back where you were when it shouldn't be possible on his route. But they all convene back at the field at the end of shift. The cows are back, though none of the officers found them, and nobody called in to find them. And remember, paranormal officer has seemingly been driving past the field on a loop all night. The farmer was also unaware when they called to ask him, Totally sounds like the farmer pulled a prank, except it was raining that night, and there was loads of wet mud building at the edge of the field where the gate is, and not footprints or hoof prints, and the cows were dry, too. The last story I have the vaguest recollection of, I think it happened some years earlier, and the paranormal officer was called to the discovery site. It is mostly about a different guy a farmhand who was an immigrant who disappeared without a trace and then appeared several days later and miles away, dead with burns and another unidentifiable substance all over his body, dumped at the top of a pile of coal. Again, no sign of anyone climbing up the very precarious pile of coal. And no sightings of this farmhand getting from the farm to a different town. One road, and he didn't seem to be on it at any point. He was in the same clothes, but appeared to have undressed, then been redressed by someone else. Autopsy couldn't find a cause of death, it wasn't the burns, and he was like barely dead, no rigor mortis. When discovered, edit, should probably add that the official answer to the farmhand death was spontaneous ball lightning, itself a weird theory, and it doesn't explain most of the situation. I am not saying aliens, but everyone at home is mildly convinced of the aliens. My somewhat scary moment was when I was camping at my very remote recreational 160-acre ranch, which I did almost every weekend and usually alone. I was actually in a small toy hauler that is left there. I was sleeping with the ramp down to enjoy the crisp air. My bunk is right there where the ramp was open. It was totally blackout, no moon. I cannot see past my arm. I sleep very light and always have my 357 caliber at my side and a shotgun or R-15 nearby. Something woke me and there was the foulest smell coming from the ramp area of the trailer mere feet away. I quickly got up with pistol in hand and seconds later by the time I was armed and shined a spotlight outside. Whatever it was took off. Not sure what it was, but there are tons of blackies out there. I have seen, most likely a snooping bear, but that smell I will never forget. It must have been pretty darn close for me to get such a strong odor from whatever it was. I bought battery-operated motion detectors and motion lights and put them in strategic places to alert me with more advance notice should that happen again. Those motion detectors came in handy on more than one occasion when it involved people, poachers, walking in. I personally feel safer when it is pitch black. Don't know why, but I never sleep with a light on or with any illumination at all if I can help it. I just feel safer in pitch black mostly because I don't want people to see any light from a distance and come into my camp. I just feel vulnerable with a light on. Remote, but there are people who show up from time to time nearby as there is a campground about a half mile from my pad. And honestly, I fear people far more than animals in remote forest lands. I was the first speaker at the meeting, and I started by introducing myself, Joe Rayab, and my wife, Kelly, who accompanies me on most of my field excursions. I shared with the audience that I had come across several Bigfoot tracks near the Nahalem River, close to the Tillamook National Forest Boundary, in coastal Oregon. I stumbled upon what could only be considered as a Bigfoot highway, where over a hundred tracks were found in one particular area. These tracks were found both uphill and downhill and belonged to six different Big Feet that were present at one time or another over a six-week period. I discovered the site while deer hunting during the weekend of October 20, 122, 1996. There were even some diggings in the soil, which may or may not have been done by Bigfoot. I went back to the area two weeks later and found some broken alder trees and new tracks. On Labor Day weekend, my wife and I heard the snap of a tree and five human-like steps. I quickly grabbed my video camera, but unfortunately I wasn't quick enough to get a picture of the creature that disappeared into a thicket that was only about 60 feet away. I didn't dare venture into the thicket. At the meeting, I displayed castings of two tracks that I had taken. One track was 16 half inches and the other was 12 half inches. Unfortunately, a 9 half inch track was not plaster-casted. Interestingly, a scar on the 16 half inch track was noted when it reappeared 10 miles away in a different location. Henry Franzoni also spoke at the meeting and mentioned that an 80-year-old Indian woman had shared a tale of wild woman and wild man in the same area, dating back to about 1870. This was documented in the book Nehalem Tillamook Tales. I explained that I had visited the area many times and had recorded various tracks. This indicates that various creatures are passing through the area in winter and summer. In January 2005, I traveled to El Quay Valley, Chile, with my girlfriend, and we ended up in the last city alcohol as, where we set up our tent to relax for a couple of days. The place was deserted except for the camping owner, which was fine for me, but my girlfriend felt scared at night for no apparent reason. After two or three days, we decided to pack up and head back to the city. We went to talk to the manager about how to take the bus, and he offered to take us since the bus schedule was at 5 a.m. The next day, we woke up at 7 a.m., had breakfast, and
0: Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.
1: Support comes from ServiceNow, the AI platform for business transformation. You've heard the hype around AI. The truth is, AI is only as powerful as the platform it's built into. ServiceNow is the platform that puts AI to work for people across your business. Removing friction and frustration for your employees. Supercharging productivity for your developers. Providing intelligent tools for your service agents to make customers happier. All built into a single platform you can use right now. That's why the world works with ServiceNow. Visit servicenow.com aiforpeople AI for people to learn more. Started packing our things. Since the morning was cold, I put on a shirt and a soft shell and my sunglasses were hanging on the shirt. After closing the soft shell, we walked to the manager's office and while waiting, I took off my soft shell and realized my sunglasses were missing. We searched everywhere, but couldn't find them. After nearly an hour, we gave up and decided to move on. About a month later, I had a vivid dream where I reenacted picking up the backpack, but in the dream, we weren't alone. A tall guy, nearly six feet, with white skin, blonde hair, and wearing gray clothes, appeared and offered me his hand. I was so scared that I woke up and told my girlfriend about the dream, and she was also scared. We never talked about this experience again, but it bugs me to this day. I've always loved hunting and it's been a part of my life since I was 12 years old. My dad and I had an archery lease in the Texas hill country, and we'd spend countless hours scouting the land and tracking game. It was always a thrilling experience, being out there in nature surrounded by the sounds and smells of the wild. But even with all my experience, there were times when I'd see things in the dark that would give me the creeps. Walking to and from my stand, which was about 1.5 miles from our camp, I'd hear strange noises and feel the hairs on the back of my neck stand up. But as time went on, I guess I got comfortable enough to not use a flashlight anymore. I mean, who needs one when it's a full moon, right? One night, as I was making my way back to camp, I nearly stepped on what I thought was a cow pie in the middle of the road. But as I was about to step over it, I noticed it was moving. At first I thought it might have been some sort of rodent, but as I got closer I realized it was a coiled-up western diamond back. The rattling sound it made was deafening, and it was clear that I had come way too close for comfort. I froze in my tracks, unsure of what to do next. The snake was clearly agitated, and I knew that any sudden movement on my part could set it off. I slowly backed away, trying to make as little noise as possible, but the snake continued to rattle and coil itself up. It was a tense moment, and I couldn't help but feel a sense of fear creeping up inside of me. After what felt like an eternity, I finally managed to get far enough away from the snake to make a run for it. I sprinted the rest of the way back to camp, my heart pounding in my chest. My dad was waiting for me, and he could tell something was wrong. I told him about the encounter with the snake, and he shook his head in disbelief. We both knew that it could have been a lot worse. If I had stepped on the snake, it could have easily bitten me, and with no medical help around for miles, I could have been in serious trouble. It was a wake-up call for me, a reminder that even though I was experienced in the ways of the wild, there were still dangers out there that I needed to be wary of. From that day on, I made sure to always carry a flashlight with me, even on full moon nights. I learned that sometimes it's better to err on the side of caution, and that being prepared for anything is key when you're out in the wilderness. But despite the dangers, I knew that I couldn't give up hunting. It was too much a part of who I was, and I loved the thrill of the chase too much to ever give it up. I was bow hunting and had parked myself between two deer trails, each running alongside a clear cut. I was dead center with 25 yards between me and each trail. I faced west into the wind at about dusk. There was usually a lot of deer in the area, but on that evening it seemed very quiet. Just as it became too dark to see my aiming sights, I heard crunching footsteps coming from directly behind me. At the time, I thought it might be a buck in rut. The animal seemed to be following my scent directly to where I was hidden in some blackberry bushes. A cover scent had been applied to my clothes and boots using pine needles that were blended with water. My clothes were soaked in the solution and dried. Very effective. For deer anyway, this animal walked right up to the clearing behind me. I had plenty of time to turn around to situate myself for a clear shot. I raised my bow and it came into view 25 yards away and stopped. It seemed no exactly where I was sitting. We were staring at each other from a distance of about 75 feet for about a full minute. The Bigfoot slowly swayed back and forth a few inches from side to side. I estimated it to be about seven half tall and maybe 600 pounds. Plus, I never pulled back on the bow and the Bigfoot eventually just turned around and walked in the same direction it came from. Because of the thick leaves on the ground, no tracks were found the next day when I returned to look around. This animal was black in color, and its shoulders were approximately four feet wide. Since this incident happened, I've brought up this subject with many people in this area, and I'm surprised at how many have had, or know someone who has had, experiences in this county. If you're ever in the area, look me up, and we can take a trip into the Cascades here behind my home. My name is Ben, and I'm a member of the local Native American community. I've always had a fascination with the legends and stories of the creatures that roam the forests of our land, so when I heard about Frank's track records, I knew I had to see them for myself. Frank, who is not a Native American, had stumbled upon tracks in two separate locations that he believed belonged to the elusive creature that our people have long known as Sasquatch. He had even managed to cast one of the tracks, which was about fifteen inches long and had three toes with apparent webbing between them. As I examined the casts, I couldn't help but feel a sense of excitement and wonder. These tracks could be the key to unlocking the mystery of Sasquatch, a creature that has been a part of our people's folklore for generations. But as I looked closer, I noticed something that gave me pause. The tracks were not quite like any I'd seen before. They were certainly large, but the shape and arrangement of the toes seemed different from what I had come to expect from Sasquatch tracks. I couldn't help but wonder if there was something else at play here. I decided to do some investigating of my own, reaching out to members of my community who had knowledge of the land and its creatures. Through the help, I was able to track down a local elder who had some insight into the matter. The elder told me that there were stories of a different creature that roamed these lands, one that was said to have webbed feet and a tendency to live near bodies of water. He spoke of a creature that was known as the Waterman a being that our people had long considered to be a powerful and mysterious force of nature. As I listened to the elders' words, I couldn't help but wonder if there was a connection between these tracks and the waterman. It was possible that Frank had stumbled upon evidence of a creature that was not Sasquatch, but something entirely different. I knew that there was still much work to be done to unravel the mystery of these tracks, but I felt a renewed sense of purpose in my investigation. Whether they belonged to Sasquatch or the Waterman, these tracks represented a chance to learn more about the secrets that lay hidden within the forests of our land. And as a member of the Native American community, it was my duty to uncover those secrets and protect the land and its creatures for future generations. For years now, I have kept silent about a sighting I have had, but after much research, I simply cannot explain what it is I witnessed a few years ago, a little background on myself. I am an avid bird-watcher, and I am particularly fascinated by birds of prey, and have read and owned many books on birds, and have gone on many bird-watching expeditions. It is safe to say that I did not mistake my sighting for any bird. I am also a qualified pilot, so I have also learned to judge the distance and size of things in my environment. Time and place of the sighting July twenty ten, around midnight, Dornport, Pretoria. South Africa. Dornport is on the northern outskirts of Pretoria. My house was less than a mile from Wonderboom Airport. To the north of the suburb is open fields with farms and platinum mines. I had not seen my brother in a while, and he and his wife came to visit me and my wife. As July is in the heart of the winter in South Africa, we spent most of the time inside, as we both smoke and don't smoke. In our house, my brother and I went outside every time we wanted to smoke. At about midnight, we decided to go for a last smoke before going to bed. It was a clear, cloudless night, and there was sufficient moonlight, so the sky was bright. As we were sitting outside, something in the sky caught my attention. I looked up and saw a creature slowly flying overhead. The thing that most caught me off guard was how white it was. It was so white it almost looked luminescent. It definitely had bat wings and it flapped them very slowly. It was about 70 feet above ground level and it had a wingspan of at least 10 feet. But I would say it was between 12 and 14 feet. My brother also saw it. After it flew slowly overhead in a southerly direction, my brother and I just looked at each other, extinguished our cigarettes, and went inside. At first I thought it was some kind of fruit bat, but the only species I could find that was somewhat on the light-colored side that is found in the area was the straw-colored fruit bat, but it is much smaller than the creature I saw, and I looked at a lot of videos of them flying since, and there. Wing beats are much faster than the beats of the creature we saw. Over time, I've researched all manner of bats, and I cannot find anything that matches what I saw in color and size. It has been over seven years, but I can still clearly recall what I saw and the fear I felt because of the sheer size of this thing. I am Leon Adler a corporal in the United States Marines, working as a security officer at United States Marine Base Quantico in Quantico, Virginia in 2020. It was just another night on my nightly patrol on the west side of the base. During a break, I went into the woods to check one of the game cameras I had set up to look for trespassers and poachers. As I made my way to the creek where the camera was, just a few feet into the woods off the road, I noticed that the woods seemed to go silent. I found it deeply unnerving. When I finally reached the creek and started checking the card on my laptop sitting by a tree, I began to make out the sound of bipedal footsteps coming through the forest. At first, I assumed it was a person. As I scanned in the direction of the steps, I suddenly saw a white-tailed deer step out of the foliage. It was a really nice-looking buck with at least eight points and appeared to weigh about 180 pounds. What really threw me off was how it went from sounding like a human to seeing a deer. There was a large oak tree adjacent to the clearing, and I watched as the deer slowly walked over to the tree and stood in front of it. It then exploded into a furious rage, smashing its face into the tree violently. I could hear the animal's bones cracking and its grunting as it repeatedly smashed its skull into the tree in a wild rage. It was unbearable to watch. I suspected that the deer might have been suffering from a chronic wasting disease, a fatal neurological illness affecting deer and other animals. But then something even stranger happened. Most animals' retinas reflect back at you, but I saw no reflection of the retinas, which was just weird. As the buck finished smashing its face, it took a step back and stood up on its hind legs. That's when, in the clearest voice I have ever heard in my entire life, It said, I know you're there. I was freaked out and scared. How could it say anything when it doesn't have a working jaw, much less a voice box? I felt like I was frozen in time, unable to react. I tried to rationalize what I was seeing, but every explanation I came up with didn't make sense. The only thing I could come up with was that it was a skinwalker. Looking at it, it felt like something that's been there way before we have and will be there way after we're gone. The voice was similar to the deep ancestral voices of old Native Americans. It felt like I had been watching it for hours, but it was probably just five to ten seconds. The buck dropped back down on all fours and walked back into the brush. I dropped my laptop and quickly ran back to my vehicle and left. A month later, I returned to the spot to grab my laptop and the camera. The laptop wasn't covered in leaves and grungy like I expected it to be. It was like I had just left it there 20 minutes ago. I checked the tree where the buck had been smashing its face into and found splinters of bone and antler. It made my stomach drop, but it was also nice to know that I wasn't insane. Whether it was supernatural or not, I didn't want to be around it. Two years ago, back in high school, my friends and I would go ghost hunting. Whenever we were bored and wanted to be out late, we'd drive around and try and scare ourselves with urban legends and creepy places. We never really found anything substantial, but we had a habit of driving along this old two-lane road, Riverdale, where most of the ghost stories in our city stemmed. The road is long, narrow, and curvy. It stretches for about twenty miles north and south. Four of us were in the car that night, and as usual, we managed to get a pretty good paranoia vibe going. We had never driven all the way south until the road ran out before, and we decided to do that, then head home. It was almost one in the morning by the time we reached the end, and when we had turned around and began driving back, my friend driving back, adjusted her rear view mirror and said, I think this car is following us. I thought she was just being paranoid and told her so, and that since the road was one lane either way, they might just be going the same direction we were. She was convinced, though, saying that the car was staying just far enough back, that if she hadn't been paying attention, she never would have noticed. We kept driving north, passing main exits, and the car stayed back far enough to see us, but not extremely close. We turned east on a main road that was still several streets away from where I lived, but eventually would lead there. I was still convinced the car was tailing us and debated pulling into a Walmart parking lot, but I advised against it because it was so late and there were only a few cars there. By now, the rest of us were starting to get worried too, and V hooked a left and went south on a little used cross street that wasn't even paved the car behind us which we think was a dark blue ford ranger followed us down this as well since we were doubling back on the way we came we were all convinced she was right we kept encouraging her to speed up to try and evade them somehow but we were the only two cars on the road at the next major intersection she hooked a right without signaling or being in the turn lane but the car's headlights stayed behind us We drove to the next intersection, going right and heading north, worried and unsure of what to do. We didn't want to call the police because we knew this car really hadn't done anything yet and our state had a curfew for people under 18. We knew we weren't going to drive to anyone's house though, and in a split-second decision we turned into a neighborhood, thinking that maybe whomever was in the car was just trying to scare some kids, and would leave once they assumed we went to our homes. To our relief, the car turned left into an opposite neighborhood, and we all relaxed. Then my friend in the back seat turned around and noticed the car had flipped a U-turn and was waiting for us to turn the corner. They had turned their lights off. At this point, the street curved, and we lost sight of them. I sped up, and having watched drive like a week before, we turned into a cul-de-sac parked in between two cars and turned off the car. We sat in darkness and debated whether or not to call the police. We decided we should, and as I went to dial 911, we realized we had absolutely no idea what street we were on or what neighborhood we were in. After ten minutes of doing nothing, we got up the courage to leave and try and drive to the nearest main road where we wouldn't be blocked in or maybe there would be other cars. As we went to turn onto the street, the ranger turned the corner and stopped as we did. They had been waiting for us. We floored it, hoping to get pulled over or something, and we went 80 going out of there. We managed to head west on a main road, and soon, when we had driven for minutes speeding, we saw other cars and people. I don't know if that car followed us out of the neighborhood or not, or what the person or people inside planned to do. But they were willing to follow us to what could have been our houses, and I'm sure that if I had never noticed them, then they would know where we lived. I've never seen that car again, but I'm always a little paranoid when I drive late at night by myself. Ever since I started studying the Bigfoot phenomenon four years ago, I've been fascinated by the countless theories and stories surrounding this elusive creature. One such theory that caught my attention was that Bigfoot was said to eat skunk cabbage, Lysicitum Americanum. In my field work near Malala and Estacada, I examined several skunk cabbages, hoping to find some evidence that would support this theory. However, all I found were signs of insect consumption, nothing that would suggest Bigfoot or any other large animal had been feeding on the plants. Despite this setback, I remained determined to find evidence that could shed light on the eating habits of Bigfoot. Recently, my efforts seemed to have paid off when Frank Canister, the director of Bigfoot headquarters in Colton, Oregon, mailed me several photos that offered promising evidence. The photos, taken on June 14, 1995, near Malala, showed skunk cabbage leaf stalks that had been freshly broken off at the base and arranged across small six-inch logs, as if to be dried. Although the photos were dark, they were enough to rekindle my excitement about the possibility that Bigfoot might indeed be utilizing skunk cabbages as a food source. I couldn't help but wonder what other secrets these enigmatic creatures might be hiding and how much more there was to learn about them. With renewed enthusiasm, I decided to venture back into the field near Malala in Istaskagay to further investigate this intriguing development. As I carefully examined the area where the skunk cabbage stalks had been found, I realized that something had indeed been using these plants. But whether it was Bigfoot or some other animal, I couldn't be certain. However, the discovery of the broken and arranged skunk cabbage stalks had provided me with a new clue in my ongoing quest to unravel the mysteries surrounding Bigfoot. I was more determined than ever to continue my research and hopefully one day find the definitive evidence that would prove the existence of these elusive creatures. As I walked through the dense forest, I couldn't help but feel a sense of awe and wonder at the thought that I might be sharing this space with a creature that had managed to elude human detection for centuries. It was a humbling reminder of how much we still have to learn about the natural world and the incredible mysteries that lie hidden within it, and as I continued my search, I knew that I was one step closer to uncovering the truth about Bigfoot in the enigmatic skunk cabbage connection. I was hunting on my uncle's property in southern Kentucky near Daniel Boone and F in the summer of 2011. He also had a good-sized pond down in the very woodsy part of his sixty acres and I set up some fishing poles at night, rigged to land some catfish. It was about a 20-minute walk from camp to the pond, and it was a pitch-black night, also very quiet. I specifically noticed a lack of critter noise, including insects. I walked down through the field and reached the pond, which sat up against miles of forest. My only light was my headlamp. As I was reeling in one of the poles, I must have spooked something and heard an enormous splash, and something let out a massive wailing or grunting noise and crashed through the forest. It was seriously so loud that it rattled my chest. I dropped the pole and hauled ass back to my camp, full-on fight or flight mode. When I told my uncle about it, he looked petrified and talked about how he is convinced a Sasquatch lives on his land due to similar occurrences he has had. All I know is that it scared me so badly to the point that I haven't been back. I've backpacked and hunted all over. I've never experienced anything like those noises. Almost a year ago, I was an opener at a resort, clocking in before 5 a.m. each day. The resort is located inside of an affluent neighborhood, in a very wealthy town suburb. Employees had to park in one of two parking lots at either ends of the property, and a lot I chose was adjacent to a long and windy road outside the resort, which lead to the rest of the neighborhood. The road and resort were separated by a short range of brush and trees that no one ever walked through. I'd arrived one morning per usual and put the car into park with my headlights still on. The lights in the lot weren't ever on in the morning since no one else really showed up before 6 a.m. when the sun was out, so it was usually always dark at the start of my walk. Save for security, I was one of the first employees to arrive on the property each morning and was usually completely alone in this particular parking lot at this time. This morning didn't seem any different. I had my hand literally at my keys, my brain in the process to turn off my car. When I noticed a young girl, maybe like fourteen or fifteen years old, come scampering, her body language was the exact definition run with quick light steps especially through fear or excitement through the span of trees that separates the resort from the outside road she was directly in front of my car and my headlights illuminated a clear view of her in the pitch black she looked like she was in high school had long blonde hair and was wearing a jacket with pajamas maybe like she would just walked out of a house one thing about her that bothered me was that she wouldn't stop laughing and smiling I couldn't hear her laughing from outside the car, but she was visually giggling at something I wasn't aware of or could see, and it was so unnatural. She occasionally glanced behind her as if someone else were there, wading away from the headlights. She then waved at me like it were a normal gesture at this time, and, and then immediately ran to my passenger side door. This all happened in a matter of seconds, and I wasn't really sure what was even happening besides my anxiety spiking. I know I simultaneously yanked the aux from my phone to shut whatever song had been playing off while grabbing for the lock button. I remember feeling panic for never remembering if it's up or down to lock when the girl began pulling violently and incessantly on the door handle on the passenger side. I realized because I didn't turn my car off, it stayed locked. She began pounding on the window and I was screaming at the top of my lungs for her to leave before pressing on my horn. I'd see her laughing outside like this were some type of game, as if I were a silly friend, not letting her in as a joke. After a few seconds, she stopped the pounding and trying to open my car door. Her face fell flat like I disappointed her, and she started to walk away from my car back the way she came. She waved at me again before squeezing through the trees, out of the view of my headlights. This whole encounter confused me almost as much as it scared me. Most people I told the story to just chalked it up to her being on drugs, but that narrative hasn't felt right to me despite her behavior. Maybe she was just being an extremely out-of-touch teenager whose parents need a firmer grip on her. My first thought was possibly human trafficking, but I'm not sure if that would fit this scenario as I'm not the most well. Versed with the subject, I told someone when I made it to LP, but they didn't seem to care much. I didn't call the police, and I regret that. I'll never get out of my brain, though, how messed off the feeling was watching a stranger, seemingly alone, pop out from the trees in the darkness, laughing, and then try to violently enter your car in an empty parking lot. I do think the possibility of someone else being present the whole time is a lot more scary, and I wonder who else was there and where exactly. One evening during the summer of 2019, I went outside on my porch to smoke a cigarette. It was still light out. I live near Rochester, Minnesota. There is a small hill directly across the street from my house, and I noticed two kids, a young boy and a girl, walking up the hill. They stopped and looked back at me, but I got a bad feeling about them. They were wearing dark blue vinyl windbreakers with hoods, and as I looked closer, I could see that their eyes were black. They started to walk down the hill and come across the street, walking directly toward me. I was cordial and introduced myself to them. They continued to advance toward me. I was getting scared, so I quickly went back into the house. I asked my wife if she heard me talking to the kids. She heard nothing, so I just put it out of my mind. The evening was quiet, and my wife and I went to bed at around 11 p.m., after several minutes of laying in bed, I started to feel strange. I looked towards the window. We have a one-floor ranch-style house, and saw the girl standing outside his window. I freaked out and went to make sure the doors were bolted. When I got to the kitchen door, I could see the boy standing on the back porch. I ran back to the bedroom and grabbed my forty five automatic. I just assumed that they were attempting to break in. By that time, I was extremely scared. I went to pick up the telephone to call 911, but the next thing I remember was waking up in bed the next morning. It was just after 6 a.m. My wife was awake and looked at me. Where did you go last night? I told her I didn't go anywhere. She said that she heard the back door close around midnight and that she went to see what was going on. She said that she couldn't find me. I told her what had happened, and she thought that I hiding something from her. I still don't know what happened. I've read about lost time and alien abduction, but I always believed it was bunk. I still don't really believe it. Were these black-eyed kids aliens? By the way, I no longer smoke. I just don't have the urge anymore. Why? I have no idea, but I had smoked for almost 30 years.